0: Uh, it's good to be back. We had a good holiday. Uh, thanks to those who uh, kind of held the fort, filled the pulpit while, pulpit while I was away. Uh, it's great to have people doing that. Uh, as uh, Ricky's mentioned, uh, we're leaving Isaiah. We'll come back to the Isaiah in the lead up to Christmas. A whole bunch of passages in uh, kind of uh, the end of Isaiah chapters 8 to 12 uh, that will be really fitting for Christmas. Uh, and we're commencing today well, what we're calling uh, for the first time ever Our vision and commitment series. So this will become an annual thing where we do a bit of a a vision refresh and think about what commitments we want to make for the new year. So this is the first time we're doing this. Uh, Hopefully it's a useful thing. I'm going to be preaching five weeks through the book of Philippians. Uh, Let me pray and then we'll get into it. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your people. We do pray this day that you would speak to us clearly Uh, from your word. Please strengthen our hearts, not just uh, to believe the gospel, but to give ourselves to being active participants in the advance of the gospel throughout the world, Uh, to be partners in the gospel together for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Uh, It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, So uh, it's been alluded to already today. The big theme in the whole book of Philippians is joy. Uh, It's all the way through Paul's letter. Twelve times he talks about the joy he experiences, uh, not just in knowing Christ, uh, but in seeing Christ exalted, in seeing him magnified, in seeing uh, the gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ advance throughout the world. That is what gives Paul joy. And so Philippians is full of joy. And that's interesting because it's also full of sacrifice joy and sacrifice, suffering incredibly costly giving, right? Throughout Philippians, those two themes are continually weaved together. And at first, that might seem a bit odd, maybe not after listening to Kelly's thing, but what's sacrifice got to do with joy? We don't tend to put those ideas together. But actually, there's lots of areas of life, aren't there, where the promise of joy, the actual experience of joy uh, is totally wrapped up with sacrifice, I uh, imagine uh, lots of you watched the grand final a few weeks back, and what did you see? You saw Richmond players, coaches, administrators, supporters. Uh, what were they doing? They were experiencing incredible joy, overflowing joy. But of course, if you spoke to them, just like Kelly, uh, they'd tell you that they only experienced that joy because of incredible sacrifice, years of investment. And then you saw some Adelaide Crow supporters experiencing less joy than that, but uh, they're still in the sacrifice phase, right? Kind of. yeah. How many of you have experienced the joy of having children? Right? But that joy only comes because of great sacrifice. Right? But particularly for mums, right? The the sacrifice of being pregnant. That can be hard work. Of giving birth. Of having perhaps your your career interrupted. Of experiencing a really, really big identity shift from having a career to all of a sudden being a mum. Right? It's great joy having kids, but it, it can come through real sacrifice. Right? but If I do that, if I make those sacrifices, hopefully one day I'll have the joy of seeing my kids grow up to be healthy, godly, well-adjusted human beings, rather than if I like, make life all about me now, it doesn't end so well. Right? Some of you uh, experience this, this kind of joy and sacrifice thing in your studies, in your professional life, perhaps. You work on that presentation, a, a proposal, a project, uh, there's massive sacrifices, Late nights, extreme tiredness, lots of anxiety, trips away from the family, sacrifice. And in the end, when the presentation goes well, when the project's done, when the proposal's accepted, when you pass the exam, uh, you graduate from your course, there's real joy. Joy and sacrifice are inextricably linked. In fact, we really make our greatest sacrifices for the things that give us the most joy or that promise us the most joy. And that's because that's right at the heart of the gospel. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus says, uh, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Right? The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold everything he had and bought that field. You see what this is like? This man had discovered the the incredible joy, the the, the amazing joy of knowing Christ and being a part of his kingdom. So what did he do? He went and sold everything he had. He made incredible sacrifice, massive sacrifice, for the sake of knowing Christ and walking with him and being a part of his kingdom. The promise of joy, the actual experience of this joy of knowing Christ leads him to make these massive sacrifices. And that's why Philippians is the way it is, why joy and sacrifice are weaved together throughout the book. right? And, and I'm praying that over the next uh, five weeks, uh, as we look at this vision and commitment series, uh, that our hearts would be captured or perhaps recaptured uh, with this great joy, not just of knowing Christ, but of, of seeing the good news about Christ, right? the gospel, advance throughout the world. I want our hearts to be captured by that joy uh, so that uh, we would make great sacrifices, for the cause of the gospel. Great sacrifices of our time, our talents and treasure. We'll talk more about that later on. So each week as we look at the Philippians, five talks, we're going to be looking at a kind of different angle on Paul's joy. Uh, For those of you who are real details people, you might find it a bit frustrating uh, because it's going to be a bit of a whirlwind tour of Philippians, Uh, but today uh, we're looking at Paul's joy, uh, the joy he experiences from gospel partnership. You can see in the outline there, we'll see the range of his joy, the reason for his joy and the result of his joy. I don't know if the guys when I was away had much alliteration in their sermon outlines, but I'm back, it's okay, you know, uh, sorry, Uh, good, good, good. Uh, But first, let's have a look at uh, the intro to Paul's letter. We often skip over this. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Paul says, uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So first, in these verses, notice who it is who's writing the letter, right? It's Paul and Timothy, it's it's there. Uh, And you'll notice how they describe themselves. They say, we're servants of Christ Jesus. Now, some of you might know that 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 word servants is is actually the word slaves. So these guys describe themselves as slaves of Christ Jesus. You see, God created every single one of us, every single human being to serve him. to to kind of have him as our our Lord, the Lord of our lives. So so even if at the moment you're actively choosing not to serve God, you're you're rebelling against God, you're rejecting God, uh, you'll still be serving someone or something. There's no way of avoiding it, right? You have been created, you've been designed, it's it's in your DNA to serve someone or something. Of course, the problem is the person or thing you're choosing to serve, uh, if it's not Jesus, is not the Lord you were created to serve. So that personal thing will, will end up enslaving you. It ends up controlling you or, or oppressing you. That's why in John 8, Jesus says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Or as Rebecca Manley Pippert says, whatever controls us is our Lord. And so the person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. uh, We do not control ourselves, we're controlled by the Lord of our lives. You see, every single one of us, all of us, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, has a Lord. You're serving someone or something. Something is controlling your life. It's the Lord of your life. And what's Paul saying right up front in Philippians? He's saying, me and Timothy have turned away from all those oppressive lords, all those enslaving lords to find freedom in life in serving Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because he's the only Lord who would give his life for your sake rather than taking your life for their sake, you see. So that's that's Paul and Timothy. The the writers of this letter, they describe themselves as uh, slaves of Christ Jesus. What, What about who they're writing to? right they're writing uh whereabouts are these believers oh well of course you say they're in philippi of course the book's called the philippians that's why it's called that they're in the the roman city of philippi and paul knows that uh but on another level they're not just in philippi are they notice where he says they are they're not just in philippi they are in christ jesus that's where I mean, that's the most important thing about their location. Not that they're in some city, but that they are in Christ, in Christ Jesus. And that unlocks part of the other, some of the other things in these verses because they're in Christ, they're, they're kind of united with Christ, they're deeply connected with Christ in this way. They are God's holy people. They're holy, not because they're holy, because they're, they're somehow perfect and, and where do we miss the boat on that? Like, we're, we're not perfect. No, they're, they're holy, not because they're holy, but because Christ is holy. And they're in Christ, you see. What's true of Christ is true of them. And verse 2, because they are in Christ, they're recipients of God's grace, not God's judgment. Grace and peace to you, Paul says. They're recipients of God's undeserved favor. They're recipients of peace, right? Because even though they were once hostile to God in their sin, God's made it possible for them to be at peace with him through the blood of Christ shed on the cross. See, because they are in Christ, that, that, uh, all these blessings are coming to them. So that's, that's the intro to Paul's letter. It's a, the identity of the authors. They're their slaves of Christ Jesus. And the location of the recipients, they're in Christ Jesus. And then Paul gets into the guts of his letter, the body of his letter. And as is kind of customary in this day, uh, he starts with some thanksgiving. Have a look in verses 3 and 4. He he talks about, uh, we can see there, the range of his joy, the scope of his joy. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you I always pray with joy. Notice how kind of emphatic Paul is. Have a look at the verses again. He's he's trying to get the Philippians to to understand uh, just, just how comprehensive his joy is. Notice he says, I thank my God... Every time I remember you. In how many of his prayers? All his prayers. For how many of them? All of them. And how often does he pray with joy? He always prays with joy. But you see, that's the range of his joy. His joy is kind of overflowing, it's invading every part of his life. It's comprehensive, it's holistic, it's complete. So, what's the reason for this joy? Well, look in verses 5 and 6. Paul says he always prays with joy because of the Philippians' partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in them uh, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Right? So, so the reason for Paul's overflowing joy is that partnership in the gospel he has with the Philippians That word partnership has the sense of someone who kind of actively shares in the gospel. They're an active participant in the gospel. So the thing that brings Paul joy is not that just when he preached the gospel to the Philippians, they believed it. That's a wonderful thing. It's tremendous. It's a source of joy whenever someone becomes a Christian. But the thing that brings Paul joy here is that the Philippians actively share in the advance of the gospel. The the great mission of seeing more and more people come to know Christ, hear and believe the gospel. So if you can imagine a sporting field, the Philippians aren't just standing on the sidelines of gospel mission. They're not just uh, kind of spectating, right? They're they're not members of the crowd. The Philippians are active participants. They're players. They're partners. They're rolling up their sleeves. They're getting on board. We're seeing more and more people coming to know Christ. And that is what fills Paul with joy. They're partners in the gospel. And I can totally resonate with what Paul's saying, right? But because the truth is that this church would not have been planted, it would not have grown if, it, if I hadn't have had the great joy of having lots of partners in the gospel. But a whole bunch of people who, when they kind of heard my, my kind of idea, vision of planning a church in, the, in this part of Melbourne, uh, they kind of not only stood on the sidelines of that vision, but they were willing to become active participants in it to help it become a reality, right? I'm so thankful for those people. In fact, I feel the same way about anyone who's been willing to become a member of this church since. Any of you who are regular attendees of this church, to me it is an amazing thing that someone would say they want to share in the community life mission of this church. Amazing that someone would give generously of their time and talents and treasure to a church that someone, and I'm not just saying that, but someone I feel as insignificant as me has been involved with starting. I have to pinch myself, the number of people who have wanted to do that. Every time I think about it, it gives me great joy. But I really value your partnership with the gospel. And that's how Paul felt about the Philippians. And notice a couple of things about the nature of their partnership. Firstly, in verses 5 and 6, you see there, it's a persistent partnership. Right, It's a partnership that began in the past, Right, Paul says, from the very first day of his ministry. It continues in the present, right, until now, Paul says. And Paul's confident that God will sustain their partnership to the very end. To the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul's joyous at their partnership but because they're so persistent in it, right? They've shown that they're committed to him, not just when things are going well, but through thick and thin, right, for the long haul. And once again, that's something I'm really thankful for. I think back to about seven years ago to when a group of us first started meeting to prepare to plant this church. And in those first uh, moments, that, uh, I guess, uh, who was there? Uh, Chris and Beck Berry were there. Uh, Adam and Aaron Foster were there. Jen Wirt joined us uh, pretty soon after that. Paul Green, uh, Sophie and Tom, Timothy, Meredith Chittenden. Of course, Gabby was there. Right, all, all these people uh, who've been a part of this church from the very first day until now. Right, and their persistence brings me joy. It's been hard work. Just as it brings me joy to see so many of you since then being willing to throw your lot in with our church. It's like you guys know that our church isn't perfect. You know that there has been and there will be ups and downs. But So I'm thankful for your commitment to being a partner in the gospel with this church, for rolling up your sleeves and getting on board. So I'm thankful for your persistence, just as Paul's thankful for the Philippians. But they're not just persistence. Have a look, that they're loving but they're loving partnerships expressed uh, in feelings and commitment. Feelings and commitment. At first, it's expressing genuine feelings, right? I think it's worth noting this because uh, some Christians I know who uh, coincidentally uh, don't like many other Christians, and they'll say to me, look, you've got to understand that love is a verb. Well, love's a verb, it's something you do, it's about actions, it's not about how you feel. Well, let's not get caught up in talking about feelings. Yeah, of course, it's true that love isn't just about feelings, right? And when it comes to when it comes to love, our culture's a bit preoccupied with feelings. But I don't think you can read this passage or the whole book of Philippians and come to the conclusion that feelings of love aren't important. Look at verse seven. Paul says, "It's right for me to feel this way." Right, to feel confident that their partnership in the gospel will continue on. Right, it's right for me to feel this way, Paul says, because I've got you in my heart. Right, the Philippians are dear to Paul. He loves them. They're in his heart. In verse 8, he says, God can testify to how I long for all of you. Right, that word longing, it's got the sense of yearning. Paul's got this deep desire to see the Philippians, to be with them. And he longs with them with the affection of Christ Jesus. Affection. That word affection is actually the word for bowels. In the ancient world, kind of intestines. This is a bit odd, but this is how they describe things in the ancient world. Paul wants the Philippians to know that his affection for them comes from the very depths of his being. He feels it in his guts, he's saying. That's how much he loves them. So Paul's filled with joy at the Philippians partnership because there's genuine love there. There's affection. There's warmth. Not just cold-hearted action. Uh, Of course, it's not just feelings, right? Feelings by themselves aren't enough. There's real commitment. So in the second half of verse 7, Paul says, uh, another reason, I'm paraphrasing, it. another reason I'm thankful for you uh, is that whether I've been in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, uh, you've been with me. You've had my back, Paul's saying. You've been by my side. Or as he says, you've been willing to share in God's grace with me. You get the sense. The Philippians have been committed to Paul and his ministry, uh, whether things were going really well or not so well. Whether he had the freedom to be preaching the gospel, defending the gospel, confirming the gospel, uh, or whether he was in chains as he is right now. The Philippians are committed to him no matter what, through thick and thin. And that's why when Paul thinks about them, he's filled with joy. And that's why when I think about you guys, I'm filled with joy. Because I'm genuinely encouraged by the the real sacrifices and commitments that you make. It gives me joy to think about the fact that so many of you are giving up your time to prioritise pursuing maturity in Christ. We've got a pretty high percentage of people in our church who are attending a gospel community or, or some sort of other discipleship group. right? I know time is precious. Everyone's got limited time. So I'm so thankful that you're choosing to invest some of your precious time to pursue the great goal of being mature, uh, becoming more mature in Christ. Right? It gives me joy uh, to think about how many of you are giving of your talents but on any given Sunday, you know, come along here, people prepping for kids' ministry, people getting here early to set up PA gear, AV stuff, practicing music, people staying late because they've been serving supper, they're washing dishes, they're packing up gear. Or people going the extra mile, they're not just giving someone a connect card at the door, but they're having someone over for dinner to welcome them into our church. People prepping. You know, Some, some uh, people, when they're on prayers, contacting me during the week because they, they really want to pray prayers, that they're going to serve you guys and, and help you to engage in your worship with God. People preparing to to read the Bible, to to lead mainly music during the week. So many ways in which people are giving of their talents to partner with us in the gospel. I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for how you guys are generously giving, not just of your time and talents, but of your treasure, your hard-earned money. Uh, Every year, our church's giving has come in above what we budgeted. Real thankful for that. And pretty much every month, Rob's treasurer's report and our board meeting uh, brings me joy. And the board joy, right? Because so many of you are giving generously. You really are giving generously for the cause of the gospel. So the reason for Paul's joy is his partnership in the gospel with the Philippians. Right? A persistent partnership in the past, present and future. And a loving partnership expressed in, in real feelings and, and real commitment. Uh, what about the result of Paul's joy? Uh, we got a, You get a hint of this back in verses 3 and 4. Right? Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you. So we, we know that, that Paul prays for them. Uh, but but uh, it's not like he just prays a simple prayer of thanks right? because down in verses 9 to 11, he kind of shows us what he prays for them or at least the kind of things he prays for them. Right? Have a look in verse 9. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, uh, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, So the result of Paul's joy is that he prays for three main things. Uh, He prays for the Philippians' growth in love, in learning and in living. Right? More alliteration, you love it. I'm just going to pause that just for a second. Guys on the AV thing... Uh, I had a PowerPoint that I sent to the production team email. Could you guys get that up? I'd like to end my sermon by referencing pictures on that PowerPoint. Thanks. Let me, maybe give me an eye if you've got it ready to go. Right. So, so Paul prays uh, for three main things, growth in love and learning and in living. Right, so first year, you see there, he prays for their growth in love, that their love might abound more and more. So he's not saying they're cold-hearted, that they're they're not loving at all. He's he's just praying that their love might abound, like a cup that's overflowing, that's spilling over onto the floor. That's that's what Paul prays for, their love. And and I think he has in mind both their love for God and their love for one another. I say their love for one another because there's a couple of places in Philippians uh, where it seems like, well, it seems like there's a bit of conflict and division in the church. This is a church that's under pressure, they're experiencing opposition, experiencing suffering. Uh, So, for example, in in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, uh, "...therefore, if you have any uh, encouragement from being united with Christ, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and being of one mind." You know, there's the emphasis on on unity there because the church is struggling with that. So Paul prays that their love for one another would abound so that it would kind of cover over all those pressures that they're they're experiencing. Uh, Having said that, I think the main focus of his prayer is on their love for God. I mean, he is praying that their love for one another would abound, but I say it's about their love for God primarily because he goes on to talk about their knowledge of God. You see that. So Paul's Paul's first prayer for the Philippians uh, is that they would continually grow in their love for God, that their love for God wouldn't be kind of running dry but would be overflowing. And that leads to his second prayer, which is that their abounding love for God would lead to a greater knowledge of God, that they would learn more about God. Uh, When I was falling in love with Gabby, I wanted to know more about her. Some of you have had this experience, right? I, I actually I wasn't satisfied with a superficial knowledge of her. I wanted to know her more clearly, more deeply, more, more closely. That that's how it works, I think. Overflowing love for someone leads to a, a desire to know them more, right? And that's what Paul's praying for the Philippians. He's praying that they would abound in love, uh, that they're abounding love for God. Uh, would lead them to not be satisfied uh, with the, their current level of knowledge of him. That they'd want to go deeper. That they'd want to know God more clearly, more deeply, more closely. Uh, so he prays for their growth in love, leading to their growth in learning, which then leads to their growth uh, in living. Uh, I say living because he prays there, you see, for depth of insight. Insight. I remember, I said before, we'll see more as the letter unfolds, this church in Philippi is really suffering for the gospel. Some of you can relate to this. Uh, that there's, there's pressures uh, for, as, in living as a Christian. It's hard to work out. How do I live faithfully as a Christian in this time, in this place? That, that, that's the kind of thing the Philippians were experiencing. They didn't know how to stay faithful to Christ, uh, but still be able to kind of be a, a, a part of their community and not be persecuted and, and suffer greatly. So Paul prays for insight. So they can discern what is best and live lives that are pure and blameless, like lives that bring glory to God. So you see the flow of his prayer. He prays for, that they grow in love, leading to growth in learning, leading to growth in living, Christian living. So there it is, the range, reason and result of Paul's joy. Oh, we've got it. Wonderful. Perfect. Right on the money. So I wanted to tie all this together by referencing these couple of books. This is the first one up here uh, that uh, I, I read these books when I was preparing to plant this church. Uh, you can see the first book up there. Uh, it's called *The Church Planter* or *Church Planter* by Darren Patrick. Patrick. Uh, and you can obviously see uh, that the guy on the cover uh, is—it's a picture of me, right? Yeah, you can see that. Evidently, uh, tough guy. Uh, really kind of strong, self-sufficient, high capacity, never afraid, kind of out in the, in the field with a scythe, kind of taking on. I say, I'm not even sure I need any of you, right? Because I'm the church planter. Right? That, that, that's the message this book sends to me, right? The church planter can kind of do it by himself, seemingly, as long as he's strong enough. Right. So I was preparing to plant a church and I picked up this book and I thought and I read the book and I thought it's not too bad a book, but it's a ridiculous cover. <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? Like it does send the message that churches can be planted by one man. As long as he's strong enough, as long as his scythe is big enough. So I, I uh, yep. I read that book and I thought church planning's not for me. I mean, I knew I had some strengths, but I also knew there's no way I could plan a church alone. I needed a team. I needed other people who were were partners in the gospel, who were players, who were active participants. Uh, So then I read this book, Q. There you go. If you can't read it, uh, it's called Church Planning is for Wimps. And uh, the subtitle is How God Uses Messed Up People to Plant Local Churches That Do Amazing Things. And I saw that cover and I thought, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. Because even though I knew I had some strengths, I also knew that I was far from the finished product. I'd right? still pretty messed up. And lots of the time I felt more like a wimp than some warrior with a sign. I knew I needed a team, some partners in the gospel. And I'm so thankful that six or seven years ago, God started providing that team and he's continued to provide that team. In you guys, that brings me joy. But part of the reason for doing this vision and commitment series is that as I stand here today, contemplating the next stages of our life as a church, like more growth, more development, more complexity, I've got to say, I find myself thinking... Can God really use someone like me to lead a church through that stuff? It's hard work. I've never never led a church this big before. Hey, we're all in this together. But then I think about you guys, right? A bunch of people who are probably just as messed up as me and just as wimpy. And yet I pray also like me, a bunch of people whose hearts have been captured by the joy of knowing Christ the joy of seeing the gospel about Christ advance throughout the world. A bunch of people who've been so captured by that joy that they're willing to make great sacrifices to see the good news about Christ go forward, to see more and more people come to know him. So I want to say, if you feel like a bit of a wimp, are you conscious of how messed up you are, uh, then this church is for you. You'll be right at home. But we need to discover this great joy, uh, this unique joy of being partners in the gospel, of banding together, not just to hang out with one another, but to think about how can we do... I mean, this is the thing, right? Less than 3% of the people in the city of Darabin are Christians. Like About 4,000 people out of 143,000. The only way we're going to make any kind of dint in seeing uh, that, that kind of shift for the sake of the gospel is if our mindset shifts from what can I spare to what's it going to take? Right? If, if we start asking the question, what's it going to take to reach people rather than going, I'm going to give my time, talents and treasure, <laughs> what can I spare? Right? That kind of mentality, we'll, we'll, we'll get nowhere. We'll rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. Right? We'll get some people coming from other churches to our church and we'll be, that, that'll be nice But we won't see lots of people coming to know Christ. And so so I'm going to be pushing hard in this series that our hearts would be captured by the joy of knowing Christ, the joy of seeing the gospel advance throughout the world. Because if that doesn't happen, we won't make the sacrifices required to see the gospel go forward. Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his letter to the Philippians. Uh, We thank you that he had discovered the great joy of knowing Christ, of being a part of his kingdom. And that he was willing, as the parable says, to to go and give up everything he had. To consider it all rubbish, as we'll hear later on in this letter. For the sake of the surpassing greatness of not just knowing Christ, but seeing his gospel advance uh, throughout this world. Please, Lord God, uh, give us the great joy of being partners in the gospel going forward. Partners who who know this great joy and who are willing to, to make great sacrifices for the increasing joy of seeing more and more people come to know our Lord Jesus and worship him. In his name we pray, amen.